Yeah, hey, good morning, everybody. Our family's getting their kids checked in, getting them registered. We love, we love you guys coming and joining us. Lots of new, fresh faces, making lots of space. I was going to say, I'm telling you, our regular people who normally sit over on the left side, they're going to have to be moving over here to the right side. So I'm just saying, left or right, I don't know. So we are so glad that you have come to worship with us this morning and join us. And um, we just spent some time praying for this morning in our service and praying for you and praying for what the Lord wants to do um, in our service this morning. And so I just want to read a few things to us of what we've been invited into this morning. You know, you didn't just show up here by accident. I believe that there was an invitation by the Spirit of God that you responded to this morning. And um, in our prayer time, there's such a sweet, sweet sense of what the Lord wants to do this morning. And um, we just had a picture of being invited to the wedding feast. And um, really that Jesus sends out an invitation for us to come and to be a part of more importantly, most importantly, of who he is and loving him, but also what he's doing. And um, this morning, there's an invitation to come and be a part of that. And there, you know, last week that there was just this, um, there was this prophetic word, this tongue and interpretation of just a banner of love being over us. And we felt like that was such an extension into this week that there is a banner of love over us, and he's brought us to a banqueting table. And um, at that banqueting table, it's not just about all the preparation and the beauty of what it looks like. It's also been set there for you to have nourishment. So this morning, um, there's nourishment for your soul. There's nourishment for your spirit in the presence of the Lord. And... Um, one of the pictures that someone had this morning, Lori had a picture of Jesus just kneeling down and whispering into ears this morning and saying, ask me, ask me, and ask me for what you want. Ask me, make, make, make known to me what your desires are. And just a sense of um, it's God's delight to do us good. He's not the one who harms us. He's a good father. He delights to do us good, and um, there's such a, we, we, we know that, a, that it's springtime, that there's just, in the rafters, there's the springtime that's here, that life is here, and it's springing up all around us, and I believe that the Spirit of God is springing up new life all around us in our world today for those who are hungry for Him, and there's just such a sense that we are in a, we're, we're in this invitation of will you come? And you get to respond to, yes, I'll come. When there's a wedding, you know, you usually get the invitation and it goes out a little bit early. And you mark that date on your calendar. And it's the most important thing in the world for you. You want to go and you want to celebrate with the bride and the groom. And, you know, um, this morning, there's such an invitation for us to just lift up our eyes and get off all the distractions from the week, all the distractions of what's going on. We've got some really big things going on with a beautiful family in our church, literally believing for a miracle of life for her. But this morning, our eyes are not distracted by what we see, 
our eyes are focused on Jesus. So will you stand with me this morning? We're going to worship this beautiful king of ours because he's worthy. He's so worthy. Lord, we just thank you for this beautiful invitation that you've given us to lift up our eyes, Lord, to lift up our eyes and to see you, to see you rightly this morning, that you delight to do us good. Jesus, you've always delighted to do us good and to bring good into our lives and to protect and to love and surround. This morning, Holy Spirit, we welcome you to reveal Jesus to us. You reveal Jesus to us, the spirit of truth and life. We worship you this morning, and we know that we have a loving Father who delights to do good. Thank you, Jesus. Let the fragrance of Jesus fill this room. Let the fragrance of our hearts fill this room that we are overwhelmed with the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus for us and to us. It's in your great name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Also this morning, just as a, um, we want to invite you at any time throughout the service that we have communion tables that are set up at the front. You're welcome to come, bring your family, believe God for everything that he paid for in your life. Communion was about union with him and him restoring us to the heart of the father. So if you need healing in your body, salvation is the Greek word sozo. So if it's wholeness. So if you need wholeness in your body, you need healing in your body. You need healing in your mind, in your emotions. Whatever you have need of this morning, the sacrifice of Jesus completely finished that work. And it's an invitation for you. And you're welcome to have communion anytime during our worship service.
Yeah. 
See, so 
Spread. 
feel like there's um, such a sweet place in the um, presence of the Lord this morning for us. Neuroscience has proven that gratitude literally creates new pathways in the brain. And what I feel like this morning is that there's an opportunity for us to be thankful. Um, and so as they're just kind of playing for a few minutes, can you just have the fruit of lips of thankfulness? And can you say out loud some things that you're thankful for this morning? So um, we're just going to do that together as a body. Lord, we're so thankful for your kindness. Lord, would you just begin, would you just begin in our gratitude, in our thankfulness, Lord? Would you begin to just create new pathways in our brain? Lord, that just tells us again and again of your goodness and your kindness. Lord, we're so thankful for your love this morning. We're so thankful for your love. Lord, that you chose to love us. You chose to leave everything. Lord, you chose to move our hearts with your goodness. Lord, with your grace this morning. God, I'm so thankful for your grace that was poured out in my life, Lord. God, thank you for grace that made me a completely different person, put my life on a completely different trajectory, Lord. Thank you for your grace, God. God, thank you for your majesty, Lord, that we get to worship and honor this morning. That there is none like you in the heavens, Lord. There is no one like you in the earth, Lord. We just declare your majesty this morning, Lord. We are thankful for you. We're thankful for your holiness, Lord, that makes us pure and white and holy. Lord, that creates innocence within us again, Lord. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that makes us pure and holy. Lord, we're so thankful. We're thankful to be enveloped in your presence this morning. We're thankful to be just surrounded and wrapped around by your presence and your goodness and your love this morning. Lord, would you just dismantle, dismantle every other thought that would say a different story. Lord, dismantle, Lord, lies that would tell a different story of your goodness. Oh, you are good, and you are only good, and you've always been good, and you always will be good. It is your nature. It is who you are. God, we're thankful for the nature of loving kindness that pursues us all the days of our life. Lord, the love of God that pursues us in the middle of our mess. Yeah, Lord, thank you. Thank you for such great graciousness and kindness. Lord, we're so thankful for your faithfulness, that you are true, you are trustworthy, you are faithful. Lord, we worship you this morning. We worship you, Lord. We're so grateful. Lord, thank you that you've said that my boundaries have fallen in pleasant places, Lord. You've created pleasant places for us to walk in. You've created pleasant places for us to enjoy. Boundaries 
that are full of abundance in your goodness. Yeah, Lord, we worship you this morning. We worship you, Jesus. You are so worthy. You are so worthy, Jesus. Yeah, Lord, thank you that your hand is upon us. Lord, that there is nothing that could separate me from your love. Nothing, nothing, nothing that separates us from your love. Oh, thank you, Lord. Yeah, Jesus, we just make so much room for you, Lord. We just clear out cluttery things. We just clear out cluttery mindsets, Lord. Open space for us this morning, a wide open space for you. Lord, we want to behold the glorious one this morning. Jesus, you are the beautiful, glorious one. You, Jesus. We're thankful for your peace this morning. Jesus, would you just shower us with peace? Lord, shower chaos. Lord, shower chaos with peace this morning. upheaval and disheveled Lord. God, shower us with your peace and mercy. We're so thankful for your mercy this morning, Lord. Yeah, Lord, thank you for just a quiet place, Lord, a peaceful, restful place in you this morning. Yeah, Lord, we just drink deep of this peace. We drink deep of this peace, Lord. Yeah, Jesus. Beholding you, our glorious one, our beautiful one. Thank you, Lord, that mercy follows me and pursues me all the days of my life. the bridegroom 
coming together with her bra. Yeah, we behold you face to face, Lord. You remove the veil, there is no distance. You're drawing us close and closer and closer to you, Lord. No distance in between. No distance in between. Just face to face. Near, close. Closer to you, Jesus. Surrounded by presence. Surrounded by glory. Lord, surrounded by glory. Sphere of heaven from our praise and adoration and love for you. Jesus this morning. You are the name above every other name. You are the one the nations adore. You are the one that our hearts adore this morning. Our hearts adore you. Our hearts adore you, Jesus. Oh, we adore you. Adoration at your feet, Jesus.
It's really moments where I'm like, I don't know how to wrap this thing up. Um, we're so glad that you are worshiping with us this morning, that you've enjoyed the presence of the Lord. He longs to be with you more than anything else. And um, you are his delight. You are his great treasure. You. Not the person next to you, although they are, but you are his great delight. And we hope you have sensed that pleasure of the Lord over your life this morning. Um, our community groups have launched, y'all, and um, you go to dothancf.com, find out about them. This Tuesday, Be Still Dothan, it's a gathering of women from all over our city. It's going to be at the depot at 6. Details are on our website. Um, we'd love for you to come and be a part of that. And if you're new with us, gosh, we love that you're here. And um, we'd love to know how you got here, what your story is, and what our story is, and where we're going. And um, we are trusting the Lord for all of his goodness and what it looks like permeating throughout our city. And so um, we'd love for you to go to our website and do the new card, the new collect, the um, new connection card. And we Someone from our team will be in touch with you this week. We won't pester you, but we love to just hear about your story and who you are and um, let you know a little bit about our story as well. We are going to dismiss our kids, and um, they are going with me this morning and Miss Sarah. So, um, uh, and then Pastor Dave's going to come up and share his message with us, y'all. How's everybody doing? Wave at me if you're happy to be alive. <laughs> so glad you guys are here. Glad uh, to see you if you're new. Um, actually, glad to see the old people too, so we still like you guys as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Um, we've been in a series for a little while now um, called Spiritual Maturity. We've had some really interesting things happen over the last couple of weeks uh, in our church, in our services. Um, it's really been interesting to see what the Lord has been doing in our nation. Um, I don't know about you, but I've been praying a lot for God to break through because it seems like now would be a really good time for that <laughs> with all the challenges that came from COVID, the, you know, all the things that happened out of that. Uh, just so much unrest, political divide, all the things that are happening in our world. Um, obviously, we need what the Lord brought us this morning. And, uh, you know, we, we need that as believers. But we also need that as just a community, um, you know, as a people, as a nation, as the world. So, um, how do you do that? How do you get what we have this morning? How does that happen? How, how does that happen rather than just on a Sunday morning? How can you have that kind of peace? How can you have the presence of the Lord in your life on a regular basis? How can that be normal and common? And really, that's what spiritual maturity is all about. We have a big conversation with any new leaders who are coming on board as deacons or elders in our church from uh, passages in uh, Timothy and Titus that talk about, um, starts out with an elder must be these things. A deacon must be these things. And it gives this long list, um, you know, the husband of one wife, uh, goes down this long list of uh, uh, actually not just being thought well of in the church, but also uh, have integrity in the community outside of the, the local church. So it's a, it's a big list, and we ask all of our deacons and elders, um, potentially deacon and elders, to read those and uh, come back to us, and we just say, hey, where are you on that? Because those are the character um, the character necessities, if you will, of what it means to be in a leadership role. 
but what we share with them is it's not the leadership, it's not uh, a, an elder or a deacon must be these things, and so these things are defining an elder and a deacon, although they do. What those things do is they actually define a spiritually mature believer. And what we say is you can't become a deacon or an elder, which is a position and a role, if you will, in the kingdom, in the, in the local church. You can't become that unless you already are a mature believer. Now, why is that? Why is it that we, that, you know, first of all, that the Lord would require that? There are a lot of things that we can do in God's grace and his mercy and his kindness. It's upon us, and, uh, and we're growing, and, and that's wonderful. And we do a lot of things in the kingdom. But one of the things that you can't do is step into that role, those two roles, without being a spiritually mature believer. The challenge is, so often in churches, I've been in ministry for 30-something years now and planted a lot of churches. And when it comes time to bring leaders and, uh, you know, deacons and elders on board, Sometimes it's a struggle in the local church to find people who are at that level of maturity already. So the tendency then, and, and we've seen this, we've never done it, but we've seen it done in the past, where people will come and say, <clears throat> um, we're going to bring them on board because they have potential, <laughs> right? Any young person ever said that about a potential mate? They have potential, mom and dad, and they're like, uh, I don't know about, I'm, I'm sure they do. <laughs> Let's talk about where they are right now, because that's, that's the guy you're dating, right? If you marry that person, you're not going to marry the potential. You're marrying that guy. So, and there's truth in that. We get that. But it's interesting that the Lord says, hey, there, this level of leadership in the local church, that what Jesus said, the church is the hope of the world. He, that's, that's how he describes the local church, that he comes and he, he, and he uh, deposits his spirit inside of us. He comes and he lives inside of us, and then he, he want, wants to work in us, but then also he wants to work through us into the world. And to do that well, local churches ought to be mature. That means the spiritual leaders ought to be mature. That doesn't mean that they always are. Moms and dads ought to be mature, but sometimes that doesn't happen, and we recognize that. But the question is, how do you if you do move towards maturity and you want spiritual maturity, because there's a price to be paid for spiritual maturity, and we all know this, so it's, it's, what does it look like to, to do the things that no one else wants to do, to have integrity when everyone around you doesn't have integrity? How do you not repay evil for evil when someone does something terrible to you? How do you love your enemy, which is one of the things that Jesus said? Um, he, he made some really, really tough claims on our integrity as believers. And his challenge is, and you see this throughout Scripture, hey, it's time to grow up. You know, Paul said, when I was a child, I did childish things. But at some point, I became a man. And when I did, I put away childish things. There's something about God's not going to do this for you. He is going to present everything that you need. Everything that you have need of, Scripture says, has already been given to you in Christ. So you don't have, you can't go after something that isn't available to you. But at some point, you personally have to make a decision that you're going to thrive when others around you are striving. You're going to do that, and if you want to do that on a regular basis, you want to live in that level of maturity, that place of peace, that place where when crisis hits, um, crisis, we all know this, crisis, crisis doesn't define you, it just exposes who you are. And so when that happens, how do you maintain spiritual maturity? How do you grow in spiritual maturity? So we're going to talk about that this morning. Um, First Peter, I want to jump in real quick, First Peter 1, 4 through 7. Um, this starts out with an interesting phrase. He says, and we have a priceless inheritance, a priceless inheritance. So Peter's saying to the believers uh, he's writing to, there's an inheritance that you have in Christ, and it is 
Absolutely priceless. He goes on, he says, it's an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you. So that can be sometimes a bit misleading because we think because the inheritance is in heaven, that's the only place the inheritance is, right? You don't get, you don't get your inheritance, you don't win the lottery till you die and go to heaven, <laughs> right? And that's not what this is saying. It says, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And what he's saying is the source of the inheritance is in heaven, but it's available to you and now. The source is in heaven, which means it's beyond, it's undefiled, it's beyond the reach of change and decay. So nothing can affect the inheritance that, that God has given us. But you can, you can determine by what you do and what you choose in this life to release more or less of the inheritance that God has, God, that God has made available to you. So verse 5, he says, and through your faith, so listen to this, Scripture is so, so precise, it's just uncanny. He says, and through your faith, God is protecting you by his power. See that? So he said, through your faith, in other words, there's something that you have to do, your faith, your belief in what God has said that is true about you and who you are and who he is, just trust, you know, taking him at his word, we're going to get to this in a bit about Abraham, believing God and it was counted to him as righteousness, right? And so he said, through your faith, God is protecting you by his power. You, there's so many things that are outside of our control. You probably, if you've been around a little bit, you bumped into that, I would imagine, right? <laughs> and that if, you're, if you want control, it's very, it's very disparaging when you can't have it, right? And, and that happens sometimes with sickness, happens with, you know, sudden death and a, a family member. It happens with COVID came out of nowhere um, and, you know, and took us out at the knees as a whole, not just our nation, but the entire world. And we're still recovering from that, right? And probably never be the, chain, and the same. In some ways, we don't want to be the same. We want to be different. But it's your faith. It's decisions that you make, but it's his power that's going to do the work. Um, verse 6 says, so be truly glad. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. He says, Tr be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though. I really don't like that phrase. <laughs> right? When I see even though, I'm just going to like skip that and go find something pretty to look at, right? <laughs> but it, it says, and um, be truly glad. So he's, he's saying you have to make a choice about what you're going to do with your emotions and, and, and the state of your mind. You have to choose this, right? So he says, you, be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials. So I don't know who, who told you when you got saved that you weren't going to be challenged, but they lied to you. <laughs> so if that was me, I, I was on pain meds or something, you know, or whatever, because I, <laughs> that's not true. So, and, and Jesus said that, he said, he said, there's going to be a sword. It's going to, there's going to be a sword because in this world, it's a very broken world and it's unfinished. It is being redeemed. Jesus purchased redemption for all mankind, but we are in the process of being redeemed. So it's really important to understand that, right? So he goes on, he says, be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials. But this is really helpful for a little while. So trials don't last forever. Trials don't, even in this life, trials don't last forever. They come and they go. Jesus said, there's a, there's a, a the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So he's coming and he's going to bring trials. He's going to encroach into places he does not belong. So there's a lie that has gone out in the church that says, well, you know, this just must be the will of God for my life. You know, I'm just suffering for the will of God. And I'm like, listen, I have no problem suffering, but I'm not going to suffer for something the devil is putting upon me, right? If I'm going to suffer, it's going to have merit. 
It's going to be suffering for something Jesus said I ought to suffer in. And so there are a lot of things that Jesus said, I took the suffering on your behalf, and you don't have to take this suffering. You don't have to walk in some of these things. But so often, because the enemy lies to us, he takes us out, and we begin to believe a lie that he's told us, that whatever our lot is, lot is in life, is that was what God meant for us to have. But we know that's not true because he said to pray. Right? So we know there's something about that the thing's going to come into our life where he's going to be, he's going to push back. He's going to challenge us, actually, to push back. He goes on, verse 7. He says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine or not, right? So that's not in there, but it's implied. <laughs> so he said, when these trials come, what's going to happen is when this stuff hits you, you have to make a decision about who you are and what you believe. And I see this happen all the time. Jesus tells a story about seeds falling by the wayside, seeds on the path. He talks about the fact that there are some things that are going to happen that everybody who hears the word of truth, everybody who hears the gospel, everybody who comes to church, who even plugs into church, who maybe even has an encounter with God, whatever those, the case may be, not every single person who has those experiences are necessarily going to have faith in God. It's a choice that you have to make. And what, what tests it are when the trials come to your life. When things hit you, you find out very, very quickly whether you have faith or not. And he, and he says, this will show that your faith is genuine. So there can be a disingenuous faith. People can have a faith that, that looks like faith, but when the trials hit, they, they come to pieces, and, and, and it, it turns out that they didn't have faith at all. They had a semblance of it. They had a, a, a picture of it. They had, as it were, a, a picture of a fire rather than a fire. Right? So he goes on. It's very interesting. He says, um, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. See, there's a difference between burning something up that is a consumable, right? And something that, is, that has, has gold in it. Fire does something different to, to those two different things. Something that is consumed is consumed, right? Remember when, when uh, Moses sees God in the bush and the, and the thing he says wasn't that there was fire, that was, he, I'm pretty sure he'd seen fire before, right? He said, the fire doesn't consume the bush. This is the way, this is the way God works. The fire of God. You know, Jesus, the Bible talked about Jesus with, with eyes of flame. And, and the fire represents often a, a picture, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Um, the, the, uh, and, and, of course, in this place, about this purifying aspect of whatever isn't true, whatever isn't of faith, whatever isn't genuine, there are gonna, the, when the trials come, it's going to burn up the dross. It's going to heat it up to the point where whatever isn't good is going to rise to the surface. It's going to give you an opportunity to remove it or not. Because the fire will come and the dross will rise to the top. In other words, it'll be noticeable. You will see it. Others will see it. You will see it. And then you have to make a decision what you're going to do with the impurities. Are you going to leave it there? Because what will happen is the fire will die down. And, it, and, and whatever was heated up will begin to solidify again. And whatever dross was in that will still be in it. And when the fire comes again, it's going to bring it to the top again. And you're going to make a decision about what you're going to do with it again. And I've watched this over 30 years of, of ministry in people's lives, of course, but also in my own life. We call it going around the mountain again. It's like, you know, at some point you bump up against something that you've struggled with in the past. And, and you have to make a decision, am I going to deal with this, right? Because this is a phrase you hear people say, the Lord's dealing with me on that. No, he's not. He already dealt with you. You are dealing with you on that now. 
<laughs> right? And we, we, again, we, we say these phrases because they, if, if we're honest, what they do is they release us, release us from responsibility, right? So the Lord's dealing with me on that. No, he's not. He dealt with you already. He, you, the reason you're saying that phrase is because he dealt with you. <laughs> he's like, hey, that's not good. And, and again, if we, we can buy into legalism and God is mean he's, and he's an angry God, we can buy into that because that's no longer true, right? The, the anger of the Lord, all of the wrath of the Lord fell on his son on that cross, on that day, so there is no more wrath for you. None. So either that's true or it's not. That is the gospel in its essence, right? So we know that. So, but the challenge is, what do you do with this stuff that comes to the top? Um, he goes on, he says, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong, in other words, there's an indicator here that if you see that your faith remains strong when trials hit you, something should occur to you. This is what it says. It says, so when your faith, well, sorry, when, when your faith remains strong through many trials, not just one or two, like I'm not impressed with the person who's tested once, right? I got a lot of friends in ministry. Um, I remember the, the day I went into, the first day we went to uh, Bible college, I was stationed in the military overseas. I was in England. I was really young, early 20s, had been saved for a few years, got a call in the ministry, uh, it turns out there was a whole lot of young men who, there was some revival going on, and a lot of young men got called into the ministry. And it turns out there were several professors who were pastors, uh, you know, had been professors at, at the uh, university, uh, at the denomination we were part of. And they were stationed over there, they were pastors now, and they said, you know what, we could hold university classes here for the military, for those guys. And so they did. Brought us all together on a Saturday morning. Um, he, they're going to come. We're going to travel on a Saturday and go through courses on a Saturday. That was the idea. So the first day we arrive, and there's 30, 40 people in the room, um, and, and also the professors and the leaders and different pastors. And we begin to worship, and the presence of the Lord is so strong. And there's this prophetic word that came out. And it was there was a Scottish pastor there, and he sang this prophetic word with this Scottish accent. And it was... I, I'm telling you, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. And this is what he said. He said, I've placed before you today a choice. Choose to take the high road or choose to take the low road. I've placed before you today a path. So he said that to leaders who were going into the ministry. And I remember going, yeah, Lord, I don't know what the high road is, but I know I'm not going the low road, right? <laughs> we all know that's a bad, low road's bad, high road's good. Yeah, I promise you not a single person in that room that day said, you know, Lord, been thinking, I think I want to go down that low road. That high road sounds hard. <laughs> Can we just, I want to go to the low. Nobody said that. But through 30 years of ministry, I look back and some of those people, whatever they said didn't matter. It was still true in they, their heart. They chose the low road. You know why? Because when the day of testing came, when the day of trial came, their faith was revealed to be disingenuous. Maybe not all of it, not their salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. But something about their maturity, and this, it says it, and it's probably one of the best scriptures I've ever seen. Proverbs 24.10 says it this way. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. And I remember the first time I read that, and I was like, duh, should be in the Bible. <laughs> like, God, I don't know anything more obvious than if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Like, we look at the dumb friend when he says something like that and go, Dude, really? That was your comment, right? But why does, obviously, God's not the dumb friend. So why did he do that? Because it, the indicator is, if you, you're the dumb one if you don't pay attention to that phrase in that scripture. Why? 
Because if you, if you hear that, if you see that in your life, something ought to, to go off inside your brain. Something inside of you ought to say, hold up a second. Something's wrong. Something's missing. Whatever God's promised me, I'm not seeing it. Whatever's supposed to happen is not happening. God, God I know you're not a liar. I know you're true. And the Bible says, let, you, let God be true and every man a liar. I know that. So if my strength is failing in the day of adversity and it's small, why? Why does that happen? And I want to suggest there's a couple of things that happen, but let me ask you this. What is your pattern when trouble hits you? What's your pattern? What's, what happens when you do it? Do you get frustrated and angry and, you know, cry out to God, God, I can't believe you'd let this happen to me? How, how do you handle trouble and adversity when it hits you? He finishes out 1 Peter 8 and 9. He says, you love him even though you've never seen him. So he's saying, hey, I want to talk to you for a second about your faith, right? Here's how your faith can be strong, even, even in the day of adversity. He said, you love him even though you've never seen him. And you start seeing this connection with the way faith is defined in Hebrews chapter 11, right? He says, you love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. So in other words, this is the fruit of Finding that place of faith that, God, I believe you, who you are, who you said you are. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that, you, that I am who you say I am. Remember that we did that song this morning, um, a good, good father. You're a good, good father. That's who you are, right? And I am loved by you. That is who I am. So here's God's identity. You're a good father. Is that true? Because when adversity comes and circumstances try to lie to you and tell you that he's not good, do you believe the circumstances or do you believe what he said about himself? Is he good or isn't he good? And it's subtle sometimes and we can trick ourselves and pretend like, and that's why it's so good to be honest and we're going to get into this in just a second about how the psalmist did this and why it's so important. So how do you do it? And here's what it's about. It's, a, it's about what you do with what he said. Genesis 3.1, all the way back to the beginning, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? Now listen, that was the most effective lie that has ever existed in all time or it would ever exist. And he has not changed his strategy one iota. Did God really say? Lord, you promised me. Did God really say? So this subtle thing comes and says, is God really faithful? Is he really going to tell you, has he really told you the truth? Can you trust him? Is he good, really? Because the circumstances are going to tell you something different, right? So do you take him at his word, even when circumstances say something different, but especially when circumstances say something different? So you can see it, like I said, done really well in the, in the life of David and the psalmist. So David's in trouble. This is Psalm 31, 9 through 13. He's in distress, anguish, and he, do, he does three things in this passage I want to point out to you, and, and we'll, be, we'll be wrapping it up. So Psalm 31, 9 through 13. He says, be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. Now listen to this, because sometimes we read these things fast, but I want this to sink in, because I would imagine if I'm preaching this message today, some of you guys are in, these, in this place that is going to resonate with you on a level that may be a little deeper than you were looking for this morning. He says, be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. My soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish, 
and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take away my life. Now here's something that's really interesting. Maybe you never thought about this. But they sang this in church. This was a worship song that they sang in the tabernacle. Because David wrote these songs to be sung as worship. Right? Can you imagine if Rodney sang one of those songs this morning? We're like, brother, I don't know if you've read the New Testament, (laughs) but it gets better, right? So we all can relate. So imagine, can you imagine singing this out? And and here's the thing, sometimes we do. Some, Some of our songs begin with what we call describing. And so here's what the psalmist did, three things. The first thing he does is he describes the, the situation and the circumstances he's in. Now, let me just say this to you. This is not wrong. We have been told, some of us in certain circles, especially charismatic circles, is you can't say anything, don't say anything negative, don't say anything, you know, you have to always be positive. You, you don't, don't speak that, don't speak that over people, don't speak. And those are true things, right? We have, to be, we have to be careful because the way the enemy uses is usually subtle, it's not outright. So there's truth in don't speak negative things. There's truth in that. But to not describe the situation is for you to be disingenuous, right? It's for you to not be open to what's actually going on. It's for you, if you're not careful, you're sugarcoating the scenario. You're pretending like things are okay when it's not okay. Here's the thing. David was not in denial. He was in distress, right? Right? So those are two different things. But here's the thing. If you don't move from describing something to the next two stages, then this is what's going to happen. It'll move to discouragement. It'll go from uh, distress to discouragement, then depression, then despair, and finally contempt for God and for life in general. And that's in so many ways where so many people are. Look on the internet. It's It's a running joke about how empty life is, especially for young people. Suicide rates are through the roof. Identity problems, identity challenges, people not knowing who they are, putting sexual identity above everything else. And it's silly, and anybody with maturity looks at that, and our hearts, if we're honest, maybe you get mad, and that's fine. Get mad because something is wrong. I don't have a problem with that. But if your heart is really where it ought to be, what's going to happen is your heart is going to be broken for people who don't know who they are. And you're going to cry out and say, God, help them see who you made them to be, because you don't make junk, right? And that's really what we're doing is we're moving because this is what David did. He pivoted from describing the circumstances and the scenario and the brokenness of the world that he lives in and the attack that was on him. And he pivots and he moves to ascribing to God who he is, the glory. So to describe is to give a sketch or account or something in words, to paint a picture with words about the situation and where it really is. But to ascribe is to attribute, impute, or refer as to a cause. In other words, it's to say, this is who God really is, regardless of what the circumstances tell me he is. This is what's true, regardless of all the lies that are floating around. There is no your truth, my truth, their truth. There's only the truth. And anybody who tells you difference is trying to sell you something. Amen? So what do you do with it? You have to move from this is how things are, but they're not how things should be 
But before you get to the challenge where we're going to go to the next, the next thing that where, we, where we prescribe, we describe, we ascribe, and then we prescribe, before you get to the prescription, though, you have to define the sickness and the ill, and you have to have the medicine that's available, right? So he ascribes greatness to the Lord in spite of the circumstances, as a matter of fact, in opposition to the circumstances. My wife got up this right before she closed the worship time, and she said, we're going to take some time, and we're going to be thankful. You know what thankfulness is? It's ascribing to God. It's saying, God, I see you. Even with the, with the veil that's over our eyes, with all the brokenness and the hurt and the pain and all the challenges, I'm pushing that aside and I'm saying, Lord, I see you for who you are. I woke up this morning and the sky was beautiful or it was raining. And we have, because of that, we have, you know, uh, something to eat in the fields. Whatever it is to say the truth, to be thankful, that is ascribing to God his glory. Listen to what he said in verse 14, 15. He says, all these things have been happening, but I trust in you, Lord. Why? I say, you are my God and my times are in your hands. Listen, my time is not in the devil's hands. My time's not in the government's hands. My time is not in my enemy's hands. My time is not in my education or my economic status or any other thing. My time's not even in my hands. My time is in your hands, oh God. And you are good, right? My time's in your hands. And then he says, Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Pursue me. And then verse 19, this is, this is the linchpin. He says, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. Now, here's the thing. This is what David's saying. I have been praying for months or years and you have not answered a single prayer, O Lord. I wonder why. And here's the temptation. Because he doesn't want to. Because he doesn't like you. Because if we're honest, he's still a little bit angry with you about that thing you did in the seventh grade. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, whoa, that's way too close. <laughs> <laughs> But here's the thing, Dave's saying, I've been praying for months, Lord, and you haven't, you haven't answered my prayer, but I know you're good. So there's this tension between I know, I know it's true, but I'm not seeing it. Lord, what's happening? And listen to this again. How abundant are the good things you've stored up for me to those who fear you that you bestow? He goes, oh, I get it. I see what you're doing. You're building this up. You're letting the circumstances tell a story that you are going to come in one fell swoop. And you are going to vindicate me. You're going to vindicate truth. You're going to vindicate yourself. And you're going to do it. Listen, you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. God's saying, I'm going to show the world that everything you've been saying about me is true. The circumstances have been beating you down and people have been making fun of you. You know, how's that working out for you? That's what they say. How's that working out? You know, that you're going to go. I remember still to this day, I remember my mom was sick with cancer. She was struggling still with that. Still wasn't 
completely clear what's going to happen with the scenario, and God calls me to go to Bible college, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. I love my mom. I don't want to leave my mom. God, are you sure? And so I struggled and struggled, not that if, you know, to not do it, not the obedience depart, but Lord, is this really you? Because if it's not you, I'm not going to do this. This is, this is suffering. This is horrible. Will my mom understand? And then, and then I, I finally said it. We came to the conclusion that God had told me, and, we, and, and Karen and I talked about doing it, and we're going to move, and we made the decision, and we're getting ready to do it. And every single uncle I had, one by one, came to me to tell me how evil I was, that I would leave my mom in the position that she was in. And I said, and I would just, when I would let them chew me out, because in this, all the circumstances, they appear to be right. And when it's all said and done, I look at them, I'm like, you tell me whether I should do what you want or what God wants. You tell me. What would you do? Well, I don't think that's God. I'm like, don't care what you think. I've heard the Lord, and this is what I'm going to do. And we went out to California, started in Bible college. We were there from time to time. My father would call me, and he would say, Dave, your mom's really bad. You need to come home. And, and I didn't have any money. I was eating ramen noodles almost every night. And I was like, Lord, um, that's going to be hard. Is it time for me to come home? And my heart's broken. I'm crying. Lord, I want to go home. Lord, is it time? Nope. And it would pass, and my mom would get better, and she'd be fine. And one day my dad calls up like he had done many, many times before. Dave, your mom's really bad. You need to come home. And I heard instantly, it's time for you to go home. We got on a plane. We flew home. My mom passed away two weeks later. And I wish many times, Mother's Day especially, you can imagine. I was 25 maybe when this happened. Mother's Day stuff sometimes. Not all the time. But this grief that he talked about before, I, I know that feeling. And I also know the pain, that lingering lie. Did God really say did you miss time with your mother that you could have been spending her rather than go off to some Bible college? I mean, because what's that really about? You do gooder. You know, you hear all the lies. And I look back down. And my mom told me before she passed away, she said, I'm so thankful that you followed what God said. And I found this out after my mom passed away. I, did, I never knew this. But my mom was, um, she grew up in Chicago. And when she was a teenager, she went to Moody Bible Church and she got saved. And she felt a call of God on her life to become a missionary. And my grandmother, her mother, told her flat out she was never going to get to do that. And she didn't do what she heard the Lord say do. And she looked at me not too long before she passed. And she said, Dave, thank you for fulfilling what I did not fulfill. Thank you for going into ministry, going into loving people and doing what God said because I didn't do it. And then I did everything I could to convince her that God was no longer holding her sin against you and she could not hear it because she'd heard the lie of legalism and she could not hear it. She felt guilty and ashamed when Jesus had paid a price to take all that guilt and shame away. But I tell you today, I look back over many, many years and I promise you I don't regret one single thing I've done in obedience to the Lord. Not one. Today, I feel vindicated on a million different levels. Not anything necessarily I could tell you. Just I've seen other people's lives that chased after all the things that they said were precious, and they weren't precious. And it turns out they were wrong. Listen, this is what the Bible says. 3116, Psalm 3116, 18. It says, let your face shine on your servant. It says, now he's moving to prescribing. What's the prescription for you've seen what the problem is? You know who I am. You've declared who I am. Now what? He says, let your face shine on your servant. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord. For I have cried out to you. 
But let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. Remember the scripture I quoted earlier? Let God be true and every man a liar. That's, again, a choice you have to make. Will you believe what God has said through his word, his personal testimony to you, his personal prophetic word to you that is not outside the boundaries of Scripture, right? Let your face shine on me. I, Lord, I'm prescribing this. This is what I'm calling out for. And then the Bible says when we do that, this is what happens. Psalm 26.1, here he is again. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I've walked in my integrity and I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. It's not like you can just do anything you want and expect God to come through, right? We get that. There's something on your part you have to do. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. Deliver me from deceitful and unjust men. Psalm 54.1, save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your power. Not my power, by your power. In Isaiah 54, and we've all heard this, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Listen, God's not going to do it. He's already done it. And now he has given you the badge. He's given you the authority. He's given you the gun. He has given you the authority as, as a, a subject that is, that's been authorized by the king to go and do his bidding on the earth. He says, you, will, you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and the, their righteousness is from me. This is what God's saying. It's not your doing. I will vindicate you, not because you're perfect, not because you've never done anything wrong, but because you've trusted in me. And because of that, I will vindicate you by my power. But there's something you have to do. You have to prescribe that. So let me finish with this story. This is Luke 18. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. So here's, in case you missed it, this is why he's telling the story. To show that they should always pray and never give up, right? So if you prayed once and you gave up, go back and read this story. Luke 18, right? To show you should pray, always pray, and never give up. This is what it says. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. And a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in dispute with this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. That's the New Living Translation, by the way. I'm, giving, I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Right? <laughs> then the Lord said, remember why I said, let me read it again, to show that they should always pray and never give up. Right? So he goes on, he says, then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Right? He's contrasting. Look at the contrast here. He says, even he rendered a just decision in the end. She wore him slap out. I want this woman praying for me. I don't, I don't know about you, but I want her praying for me. <laughs> I know somebody like that. <laughs> so don't you think God, listen to what he says. He says, if God, if, if even this unjust would judge would render justice because she just wore him flat out. He says, don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Always pray and never give up. 
listen again, who cry out to him day and night. Why is it that we think we pray one time and go, God, you, you know, I guess you weren't listening or you said no. Do we not remember that we live in a fallen and a broken world with the, with the prince of the powers of the air where the enemy is working in the sons of disobedience all around us every day, all the time? Why is it that we forget that we are in a battle, we are on a mission with the Son of God to take back what belongs to Him, to take ground, and that ground is people, that ground is justice, that ground is righteousness, that ground is health and wholeness in our physical bodies, mental health and peace. That's what God's called us to do. He says, will He keep putting them off? Because He's he's a just judge. And this is what He says, I tell you, He will grant justice to them and quickly. So here's the contrast. If persistence in the case of an unjust judge brought results, how much more from a just and a loving father? And he finishes with this. And this, I hope, gets your attention. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? So what is faith? Faith is I mean, we all, we've all heard this. It, it's, it's being sure of what God has said, right? Hebrews 11 captures it in so many different ways, so many different translations. But the essence of it is, do you believe what God said in his scripture about himself and about you, about salvation, about wholeness, about his blessing on, your, on you, about his peace that's available to you, about taking fear away? Do you believe all these things are available to you? So Romans 4, 17, I'm closing with this. As the scripture, this is about Abraham, by the way. As the scripture says, I've made you a father of many nations. This is true before God, the one Abraham believed. The God who gives life to the dead. And listen, he speaks of things that don't yet exist as if they're real. Another version says he calls those things that are not as though they are. You don't get to pick that. You don't get to pick what you can call into existence that isn't in the existence. God has defined that in his scripture. He's defined that in his character and his nature. But part of the reason we read and we pray and we worship and we connect with other believers is to discover his nature and his, his, his character and who he is and what he's made available to us. What is our inheritance in the Lord and why don't you have it? Because if God has said it's yours and the enemy isn't strong enough to keep it from you, why don't you have it? Right? And I think the answer ultimately, ultimately is we don't know how to describe, but then ascribe and then prescribe and go after the thing that God has for us and then pray and never give up, right? He finishes out in 1921 without becoming weak in faith. Listen about this man. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own circumstances, right? For him, it was his body. For him, it was, it goes on, since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. That's harsh. He contemplated that. And listen to what he did. Yet with respect to the promise of God. So he said, I, he, he describes it. I am basically dead and Sarah's deader. <laughs> or at least her womb is, right? <laughs> and yet, even though he contemplated that, he, he described the situation Clearly. But then he says, listen to this. With respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God 
for something that had not occurred yet. See how it works. And then finally, and being fully assured that God, that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. And that, again, is the New Testament version of faith. Because this is what Hebrews 11 says, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So I want to finish with this. And I want to challenge you. This is Romans 16, 20. It says, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath God's feet. See how it works? There's a co-laboring. There's a, there's a co-laboring with him. There is a co-inheritance with Jesus. And God's saying, I've done everything on the cross. Everything that you have need of has been done. I've given you all the authority. I've given you my scripture so you can learn of me. Jesus said, follow me, right? That was, his, that was his challenge to disciples. Follow me. So how do you do that today? You follow him by reading about him and learning about him and then connecting with him in prayer and in worship and in ministry and receiving. And you learn of him until at some point you know who he is. And so when the enemy comes and says, hey, this is not true, you can look him square in the eyes and go, you don't have a clue what true is because you are the father of liars. And all you know how to do is lie. But this is truth, and this is what I'm going to stand on, and I'm going to stand on it to the day I die or the day it happens. But I'm not backing down. And I want to challenge you again. The fourth man in the fire, we've read this. There's a beautiful worship song out about it right now. The three Hebrew children stand before the greatest king who had ever existed with all authority in all of the earth. The, the, the fire was so hot that it burned up the soldiers who were trying to heat it even hotter. And he, he says, I'm going to throw you in there if you don't do what I say. And this is what they said. Know this, O king. And this is the old covenant. It's not even the new covenant yet. They said, know this, O king. O king. Know this one thing. Whether God saves us, we believe he will. I'm calling things into, into now that are in the future, but I believe he will. But even if he doesn't, what we're not going to do is bow to you. And so I want to challenge us this morning. Every one of us is standing in one of these places that I read out of that, that psalm. Distress, discouragement, brokenness, hurt, sickness, affliction, grief. Fear. There's so many things that the enemy has thrown at us. We live in a very broken world. But why is it that we act as if this broken world is the one in charge? So who's in charge? And please don't say God. Thank you. We are because he said we are. Right? He's given us every authority that we need to do everything that he's called us to do. Now, don't run around being a child and say, God's made me, he put me in charge of all, all my brothers and sisters, and so you're going to make them be your slaves. Right? That's childish, sorry, that's childishness and, and it's immature authority. It's not what God calls us to do. But I do want to challenge you to this. These things in your life, you have to make a decision about what you're going to do. You have to make a decision. Are you going to, first of all, just lay down and let the devil run you over? Or... Are you going to say, well, this is my lot in life, and I guess God just wants me to learn something about him through suffering. You know, I'm super sick, and I've, I've got, you know, all kinds of illnesses, and that's God's way of teaching me something about himself. And I just look at that and go, is that what you do with your kids? Because I would like to report you to somebody if that's what you're doing with your kids. And we know that. So we know that's not true. But you have to make a choice with what you're going to do with God, what God said about you and about him and what he has for your life. So I want us to pray. Nothing big, simple prayer. And whatever that thing is that came to your mind, that thing that the enemy is holding against you, 
Describe it. Don't be afraid to. Ascribe to God glory. All these things are happening, but God, you are my light. You are the truth. Uh, you are the refuge I can run to for help in time of need. I'm mixing Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, and it doesn't matter because it's the truth about who God is. So describe, ascribe, and then prescription. What's the remedy that you're going to present? Lord, because you said this, I'm going to stay, take a stand, and I am going to contend for my healing. I'm going to contend for provision. I'm going to contend for whatever it is that God has called you to. So I want you to do that as we pray, as we close. So Jesus, we come right now. And Lord, we declare that you are the great God. Lord, there is no yin and yang. Lord, there is no equal powers, good and evil, black and white, fighting it out. Jesus, you reign supreme. Your word says that it, you are going to reign supreme until all of your enemies are put under your feet like a footstool. And then you said, Lord, that the way you're going to do that, you came to the cross, you did the work that was necessary, you put everything to, in effect. Lord, you created the inheritance, you died to give it to us, and now it is ours. It's our decision as men and women of God to make a distinction. Is this mine or isn't it? And so, Lord, I receive everything that you've given me on the cross. I receive peace. Lord, I receive healing. I receive encouragement. Lord, I, I receive strength, Lord. I receive vision, Lord, prophetic vision for the future. Lord, I can hear your voice. No longer am I deaf to your voice, Lord. I can hear your word. You speak in my ear saying, go left or go right, and I hear you, Jesus. You said that my sheep would hear your voice, so Lord, we hear your voice. And we declare today, Lord, that we will take a stand for what you said is yours, Lord, and then you will vindicate us by your mighty power. And so, Jesus, we take a stand, Lord. It's not, this, it's not the loudness of our prayer, Lord, but it's the authority with which we pray. And so we come with a surety, Lord, and we declare these things to be true in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, we would love to pray for you guys. Our ministry team will be up here. Otherwise, have a wonderful week. So glad you guys come.